Are you ready to learn more about promoting play, defending childhood, empowering caregivers? Save 10% on professional development at explorationsearlylearning.com and support the show with the coupon code OOL. Click the link in the show notes to browse upcoming trainings. Hi, I'm Annie. And I'm Candace. And this is a podcast about stepping out of line, letting go of control for control's sake, recentering the child, and challenging the norms of schooling as we know it in this country. Today, we're talking about what it means to have a bad day. A oh, bad day. I had a bad day. So, Candace, I noticed the other day. Uh, my car was in the shop. So my husband came to pick me up and I heard you while I was collecting my belongings, telling him what a bad day I had. And, you know, I was really thinking I had had a pretty good day up until that moment. <laughs> I was a tattletale. <laughs> so it's I pretty said... common at pickup time for parents to hear from a teacher or childcare provider what their child's day was like. We often use words like good day and bad day. Johnny had a bad day today. Annie had a good day today. What does that mean? And who's allowed to tell us what kind of day we had? I'm curious about that. Have you ever been told as a parent, Candace, that your child has had a bad day or good day? No. Mm -mm. Have you I've never had to never had to go through it? <laughs> I'm pretty lucky. I guess I've only had pretty good days. Your kids know how to, how to stay in line. <laughs> They're very <laughs> complicit children. Uh, it's so cringy when you're hearing a, a, when like I now pick up my kids at a different school. They don't come to school with me. And I overhear often parents being told that their kids had a bad day. And then the details of all the reasons why. Um, and it just, I feel super uncomfortable as just a bystander hearing about their day and, uh, thinking about how it would feel as an adult, if somebody else chose for me, what my day felt like to me. Um, and the idea of good and bad is something that kids are really trying to figure out as they're growing up, um. I don't know. What do you think about the words good and bad? And especially as it applies to like an entire day. I mean, I think that there's no clear expectations on what, like what makes it a good day? What makes it a bad day? And it's really just up to the teacher and it could be up to the teacher's mood and what the kids are going through throughout the day. And it's a lot for a small child to have to decide or to make the decision for themselves and what, how, and how they're behaving. And have to say, oh, I think, I think this is good. I think that I'm doing something bad. Um, so I will admit that as a teacher, I did report back every day about my students. And I had a so I didn't do good day, bad day, but I had a behavior chart. And I remember as a teacher and as like behavior charts started to become like this bigger issue in schools, I remember that I was thinking like, how 
do I run a classroom without a behavior chart? Mm. And I think that's one of the deeper issues is a lot of teachers feel that way. And also, how do you run a classroom without a behavior chart or without some sort of rewards? And this might be taking it down like a different road. No, let's but- go down that road. Cause I think that's so, <laughs> that's so critical. And you and I have been having some conversations recently as my kids are back in a more conventional school setting or in a conventional school setting. Um, and I, I see a lot of that. I hear a lot about what they get, you know, how many M&Ms they got that day and things mm-hmm. like that. And really reflecting on, um, you know, I wasn't a classroom teacher for very long. My, most of my teaching has been in the early childhood sector, which is a different kind of classroom. Uh, but how do you, f- how do you manage, you know, sometimes 30 kids in a classroom without some sort of incentive based system? Uh, I, I don't know. And we do it, we do it at our school so easily because we're so relationship based and we're not, we're not forcing the kids to do anything that, that are our expectations. But then when you're in a traditional school setting and you have so many expectations for these kids and everybody has to be doing the same thing, um, then how do you, how do you do that? And I'd just be interested to know if anybody out there runs their classroom without a behavior chart or actually without any external motivation, right? So I ran a classroom with like points or money or treasure box, M&Ms, like you said, but without that, with just starting the year, building relationships and building a community in a classroom, I mean, I'm sure it's so hard and I've never... I just never made it that far before I left. Yeah. So, and, and you referenced our school. So just to remind listeners, our school is an agile learning center. We're a self-directed education facility where we support uh, children and their families on on their path to self-directed learning. So we don't have the same expectations of everybody turn to page three. Let's read along together. Um, And kids are on some level able to do whatever they want (laughs) for the most part. Um, We don't say no very often. Uh, So yeah, we don't have the the need for kids to fall in line like they do in a a more conventional school setting. So I know it's really, really hard. I did not use um, point systems uh, when I was a classroom teacher in elementary school settings, but I was in a Catholic school and I definitely wrote kids' names up on the board. <laughs> and, and that's like the point of this is we know that there are people still out there who are doing these things and may know that it's not developmentally appropriate or best practice and still don't know, don't have alternative tools in their tool belt. So I think that's where, you know, we're here to to figure this out together and talk about how to push back gently without, um, a totally, you know, not everybody has the privilege to walk away from the system and we mm-hmm. recognize that. Um, so how can we push back within the system? And if you're expected to use some sort of, you know, external motivation, what can you do to make it look more supportive to students? Yeah. 
And not like like writing names on the board, behavior charts, class dojo is the big one now. And I think all of it is in a way, I mean, even if the kids are getting receiving points, like my behavior chart, I was so progressive because my kids' clips got to move up when they were extra good, right? So even if they're receiving points, it's still there's still other kids who aren't receiving points. And it's still this form of kind of public shaming. And so how are we running our classrooms without shame? Public shaming and behavior manipulation. Like who Mm -hmm. are we to say, I don't know, like what good behavior is or what appropriate, sometimes we use a word like appropriate instead of good, because we think it's hiding the fact that we have an opinion on what children's behavior should look like. Uh, But it's the same concept, right? Mm -hmm. So yeah, having a, having a behavior chart, that's just like as tall as a skyscraper and you can only go up when <laughs> <laughs> everybody moves up. Everybody. It is true though. I, I remember teaching with people who relied on behavior charts in the early childhood setting and watching them move away from them as they learned more about other techniques and, um, you know, there's, oh, I I think it's impossible as humans, we have some kind of, I don't know if you'd call it behaviorism or some kind of um, built-in way that we, we show that we favor certain behaviors over others, right? Certain behaviors are more challenging than others. Um, And that's always going to be existent, right? In the human condition, like we're going to look disfavorably on biting. We're not going to say, well, if that kid is going to express themselves that way, we just got to let it happen. Right. We don't want to continue to let children get hurt in our programs. We have to have some sort of behavior modification on some level. Right. But I, I don't know, you know, like there's not a one size fits all answer. And it, it is interesting to watch. Like I, I'm thinking back to one person in particular that I worked with who was getting away from behavior charts And so the chart went away, but the communication was kind of the same still with parents and families and um, reporting back on how the day went Um, and then slowly getting away from that. Like, oh, okay. It's not really my place to tell my opinion of how the day went, or can you tell it more factually? Um, You know, I think I say this all the time and probably will on this podcast a lot, but Dan Hodgins is one of my favorites. And he always used to say, don't make a moral issue out of a developmental one. And so often the behaviors we're frustrated by are completely appropriate developmentally, just not societally accepted. Um, you know, mm-hmm. if, if a kid is not able to sit still during morning meeting or circle time or through your story, is that a problem for you, but not for the kid? Um, and so what kind of alternatives can you give instead of just marking it as a bad behavior, right? Yeah. Well, I think that's so important to talk about too, the reporting back to families and parents about having a bad day. So if the teacher's saying this, your child had a bad day, they couldn't sit through circle time. And then not every family has the deepest understanding of development child development right so then they're expecting their kid to tomorrow 
sit through circle time? And what is that bringing into the home and what kind of consequences are they receiving in the home when they continue to get reports of having a bad day? Yeah, it's like double jeopardy. They get in trouble at school and then the report goes home. They get in trouble at home for what they got in trouble for already at school. And then probably tomorrow, it's all going to happen again. Yeah. And then they find out they're in trouble at school and they know they're going to get in trouble at home. So they're upset at school for the rest of the day. And how is that affecting their learning? Yeah. Or, or the flip side, right? Like they, they figure out some way to flip the switch inside them and sit still at circle time. I, you know, like maybe it's some miracle child who's like, okay, I know I just have to keep it in and they keep it in and they're able to do it, but then to what detriment and, and, you know, we talk a lot about can education and learning be measured and in our country, we seem to think we can really measure education through things like standardized tests, but um, you can't, and you can't measure on the same, on the flip side of that, you can't measure the detriment that is being caused by forcing a kid or manipulating a kid into sitting still at circle time, using that same example. Mm-hmm. Or having the kid see other kids who can sit still and they just physically can't. So how are they feeling about themselves when they see that? And then they're shamed publicly for not being able to. Mm -hmm. And probably have a higher number of uh, their interactions with their teacher or caregiver be negative rather than positive or neutral even. Um, And what what does that do to that relationship and the the trust that you have? Mm -hmm. And I guess that's the thing, like we've both said, it's really hard in in a conventional school setting, but how can it be done? Um, And I think one way that we've learned or figured out it can be done is through trusting relationships, which again is really, really hard to do when you've got 25 kids to one teacher and they're four five and six years old. And that's, you know, yeah, challenging. Yeah. We also taking like the community approach too right so looking at it two different ways like building a classroom community a positive classroom community it takes a long time and thinking about you know for us at our school we're just it's December and we're just getting into like a flow of learning so it's taken us this long to build this positive community without external rewards and in a traditional compulsory school setting it's always like go 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 we have to teach we have to be learning like there's no value I often don't see a lot of value put on building the classroom community in that way and then when it's built on this like shame and negativity then all of the kids you know so then you have all the tattletales and the like this person did this and this person did this and you know as a teacher that can get like I remember getting so annoyed by like why does everybody keep telling me about everybody else's you know business and um but it's because I was the run, one running the classroom and the, creating that community right so, yeah, you, you create that culture in within your community to always be on the lookout for the, the bad behavior, you know, amongst each other too, and in a very prison like way. Yeah. Um, but, and yeah, and, and our community 
so we're in our second year of our learning center. And um, this year we happen to have at least, I would guess, probably about 50% of our learners are new to our community. So it did take longer to establish those relationships, the norms, the trust, the expectations, the community agreements, right? Our, our kids have space, um, or, you know, the people, the young people in our center <laughs> instead of kids have the space to come to us with what they think is also something that could be an expectation. Um, so it's not the adults in the space declaring what our expectations are. It's, it's coming together as a community and talking about what the agreements should be. Um, and that really shifts the, the narrative from good and bad to what works for all of us, right? Just like you would in a family setting, um, not like this is good, this is bad, that's been established, but it's a constant revisiting of what works for the entire group or what works best, at least for the entire group. And so I guess if there's one takeaway that um, somebody's stuck in a system or not, maybe they don't feel stuck, maybe someone who's in a system um, that uses a more conventional rating system, maybe just even dropping the language of good and bad, uh, reporting what happened factually, just like, you know, Joe Friday would say, just the facts, ma'am. Like, you don't, we don't need your commentary. We don't need your judgment of the day. We need to know what happened and if it's already been addressed or if it needs to be addressed at home. And um, I think most teachers approach it with good intentions and hoping that by sharing with the families, it can be re reinforced at home. I don't always think that teachers realize that the children may be additionally disciplined at home and what that can look like really varies based on the family's approach to punishment and discipline and behavior modification. And some kids can really have strict consequences if they get a report, um, a bad report from school, quote unquote. Yeah, it's, it's really important to think through that and think if it's worth it. Like, is it worth it? And just thinking about you never know what the consequences are going to be at home. Mm -hmm. And you can never assume one way or the other, but is it really worth it? Because the child didn't, you know, finish a worksheet or right. sit correctly in circle time. Like it's never, it's never really worth it. Well, and there's lots of research that shows, you know, if, if a child doesn't like school in kindergarten, they're not going to like school by third grade and they're much more likely to drop out by high school. So it's, it's not, um, a one moment, like it doesn't live only in that moment, right? It, 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 these reports of good and bad grow and grow and grow and grow until they're too big and, and the kid feels stuck under it. Right. Mm -hmm. So my takeaways from this episode are just drop the good and bad language, right? The kids are already figuring out that this is their age to figure out good guys, bad guys, power struggles, let them struggle a little bit, reshape the language, keep it to the facts and accept, accept the children who are coming to you, however they're coming to you. Take the time to build your community in a positive way, mm -hmm. whatever that might look like without external motivation, working, meeting with the kids, getting ideas from the kids on how they want the classroom to run. So it doesn't always have to be on the teacher. Mm. 
Yeah. And then parents and community people advocate for the structural needs, right? Like we've talked about how difficult that is and to create a trusting relationship where you feel individual attention when you have 25 students or more. Um, you know, I know some states have laws around class size limits, even in those states, they're not adhered to often because of funding issues and hiring challenges and et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, I think it's really hard for a teacher to have quality relationships with kids above what 16 students per class. Um, so really like thinking about where the energy needs to go instead of focusing on your kid and their inability to sit at circle time, how is the system supporting their ability to sit at circle time? Yeah. Pushing back. How much recess is your child getting? (laughs) Yes. And what happens at recess? Are they actually able? I mean, yeah, that's a (laughs) next episode. Uh, well, thank you all for listening and thank you for joining us as we talk out of line. It's time to become a member of Playvolution HQ and Explorations Early Learning. There's a free option and three paid patron level options. All come with free stuff and ongoing automatic training and merch discounts. For as little as a dollar a month, you can become a patron. That supports our work and you get premium stuff like early access to fresh podcast episodes. Go to explorationsearlylearning.com slash membership or click the link in this episode's description to learn more. All the cool listeners are doing it. This has been an Explorations Early Learning Upstairs Studio production. Oh.